we can't really think out of the box. You know, if you look at, at, at the research of psychology, by about the time we're 15 years old, our mental frameworks are pretty much formed. We sort of approach the world in a certain way. True breakthrough thinking comes from combining those boxes. That is what diversity is really about. If you want new ideas and new ways of looking at the world, mash it up. And that's what I'm committed to do in, in, all, of, in all of my books. I just try to get as much different perspectives as I could. Hi, I'm Nick Ninton, and welcome to Now to Next, the podcast where I interview some of the top experts and professionals all across the globe to talk about what's happening now and what you can expect next. Thanks for tuning in to Now to Next. Make sure you like and subscribe and check out the next episodes. Hey everybody, Nick Nanton back here for my latest episode of Now to Next. I've got a great guest here for today, uh, Mark Schaefer, the author of a new book called Cumulative Advantage that you need to get and I'm really excited to talk about today. Let me give you a brief bio on uh, on Mark and as usual, my team puts these together and I like to read them first and then ask Mark what I got wrong. So here you go. Uh, Mark Schaefer is a globally recognized author, speaker, podcaster, and business consultant. His prolific work sits at the intersection of marketing, technology, and humanity, my favorite part. He has advanced degrees in marketing and organizational development, holds seven patents, and is a faculty member of the Graduate Studies Program at Rutgers. University. Mark is the best-selling author of nine books, including the very first book on influence marketing. His blog, Grow, and podcast, The Marketing Companion, are ranked among the top-rated marketing resources in the field. His new book, Cumulative Advantage, is a practical guidebook that helps individuals build unstoppable momentum and rise above the barricades the world puts up against them. His clients range from successful startups to global brands like these you probably have heard of before, Adidas, Johnson & Johnson, Dell, the U.S. Air Force, and the U.K. government. Uh, Mark has appeared on CNN, CBS News, and the Wall Street Journal and the New York Times. He hails from Tennessee. We might have to talk football here for a minute. Uh, where his very own bees make honey that wins blue ribbons at the state fair. Uh, I don't think I've ever met someone that I know of that makes honey. So welcome, Mark. Well, thank you. Hopefully, I won't be the last guest that you have that makes honey. <laughs> yeah, let's for a second. Let's talk about. I mean, the bee situation because I hear, I see a lot of clickbait around bees. Are we having like a bee shortage crisis? Is there? No, we you really know, is there a real problem there? Yeah, I mean, we really are. the re The reason I did it is uh, I live on some land, and there it literally is a bee crisis. There are there's little little mites. That are destroying the honeybees and of course honeybees are pollinators we need them for the environment so i had some like unused land and i went to local beekeepers and said hey can we put bees on this land and they said oh this is perfect this is perfect because it's undisturbed and it's peaceful and i'll be darned uh one of the beekeepers took the honey and submitted it to the state fair and we won the blue ribbon <laughs> nice. first time out just because they're mellow bees they're just mellow here in tennessee they're chill. So, uh, do are they like in a contained space, or if I go running through your property, are they going to chase me? Like, how does that work? No, they're really they're they're super mellow bees. Uh, they've got their own hives, okay. and uh, you know the beekeeper showed me once. I mean, he pulled out this, uh, I guess you call it like a sleeve of bees or something, and okay. you could put you, you you could put your hand right on the bees. They they only get vicious. Uh, and belligerent if you like would knock over the hive or something other than yeah. that they they're just so busy making honey they hardly even notice you so so i've got good tame lovable bees i love it i love it all right so they are not murder hornets that's good no. all right uh so, Mark, tell me, you've had a, a storied career working with, I mean, NASA, all sorts of things. Give me the the brief lead up into writing this book. You've obviously written eight other best-selling books. Uh, un cumulative Advantage, what what was the spark for this? Uh, hey, I need to write this book. I need to share this knowledge with the world. Well, I, I had been working on a book, Nick, about, uh, about strategy. I sort of had this in my mind for a few years. And then... Uh, through sort of a random interaction, which is a key part of the story, by the way, because most success, most momentum begins with something random. So I was sitting in a hotel lobby back in the days when you could sit around in hotel lobbies, way back in the day, 
February, <laughs> uh, you know, it was a couple years ago, and I was talking to a brilliant friend of mine, and I said, what, what sort of research have you been looking at that really hasn't been applied to the business world or, or, or popular culture? And he said, cumulative advantage. So I went down this rabbit hole, and what I found, Nick, is that this was research that was started in the field of sociology in the 1960s. And it's relatively famous in the field of sociology, but we haven't heard of it because, let's face it, what famous sociology research have we ever heard of? And uh, so th this, this idea is that when we have some small advantages in our life, the momentum sort of builds and builds and builds to the point where we start separating ourselves uh, from our, our competition unless there are countervailing processes. So my mission was really to figure out what are these countervailing processes? If people really don't have those advantages, what are some of the things you do to create your own momentum? And that became the heart of the book. I love that. Yeah. One of my mentors, uh, Dan Sullivan says, let's be honest. If everyone was being like really honest with ourselves in business, uh, we want an unfair advantage. Like we yeah. want advantage over everybody else. Like right, uh, right. what what we choose to do with that could be very fair, but like, yeah. we just want to, we want an unfair advantage. And I think at the yeah. core, uh, I, I could debate two sides of that, but I think it's a, it's a, at the very least an interesting statement that probably stands true in a lot of ways. And we're thinking about what I think is cool about this too is, is um, I love the idea that um, sort of random events, yeah. our willingness to see them one way or another is truly in a way that creates opportunity. Um, and then, you know, uh, Larry King was my business partner on a series before he passed a, a few weeks ago. But what Larry, Larry said to me when I was asking him questions about being a great interviewer, he's like, He's like, honestly, Nick, you wouldn't want to sit next to me on an airplane because I am just relentlessly curious. And the people, every single person who I've interviewed that is at the top of their game in the world, curiosity is one of the top three things they will talk about. I think yeah. it's really interesting that um, – and as a formula, by the way, I think, look, when something comes at you, like someone mentions cumulative advantage, like number one, you got to decide, um, like you can use your uh, your – uh, meter or your ooh meter, right? I mean, you gotta like you can't do things that you just don't inspire you. Like I, I try and I continually fail to take on things that I'm really not inspired by. But like it seems like a great idea. But it's like so you got to use that. But then if you, uh, if it does rev you up a little bit, you got to say, all right, like what could this possibly look like? And I wish I could. I don't know how to teach that skill, but I think it's really interesting. I mean, every. Every cumulative advantage, just this book started with just a conversation and yeah. a, on a phone call or a hotel lobby or an email someone sent. It's just learning, learning how to follow. And I'm sure by now you have nine best-selling books. It's sort of a natural process for you to sort mm -hmm. of st start fleshing out probably multiple conversations to see if anyone else is interested in this to start writing. Like you have a process now, whether you've written down the process or not, I think it'd be interesting. I mean, any feedback on that for how people who have other conversations like this, um, how they might see something, whatever it is they're supposed to see through to completion rather than just setting it aside because they don't know where to begin. Well, I think you, you bring up an extremely important point and it's also a very exciting book exciting point that I think is the reason why this book is, is really a book of hope because there was this research that was done by Franz Johansson, very famous researcher and author, and he wrote this book called Click Moments, and he demonstrates that almost every success, almost every business story started with something random. And it, it, it happens to me, you mentioned it happens to you. And, and, and you pointed out the key piece of differentiation, and that is pursuing your curiosity. It's not just an idea. It has to be a quest. You have to pursue your curiosity. Really, momentum begins with curiosity. I mean, we have these ideas around us all the time, but unless we just you know, go down that rabbit hole and, and pursue that curiosity, nothing will, nothing will ever happen from it. 
So cumulative advantage, the idea is a cumulative. It accumulates it. I'm not Webster's Dictionary, so you, yeah. know, you can't define a term within its, itself. But you know, you, it's, it's a growth of, I guess, multiple facets all around you all adding up. It's like I tell my clients when we're getting into the business of like positioning credibility in media, right? So a uh, great example here, cumulatively, this is one podcast I'm doing with you right now, one live conversation. But cumulatively, I was shocked when someone showed me the other day that I had done 29 of these now because I just I just was doing them one at a time. But now when someone, I tell all my clients like, hey, you can either start now or be two years behind two years from now because mm-hmm. things literally just accumulate and the way they intersect, I mean, look, the way you and I met, who knows what will happen from here. Um, it's really interesting how small steps add up to big things. Talk a little bit about how one might start looking at, first of all, maybe recognizing a cumulative advantage that they have they didn't realize they had. Yeah. And then how you can start gaining advantage uh, if you're starting from scratch. Well, the, the fundamental idea that's rooted in the research is that when you have a small advantage over someone else, that this can build and build and build unabated unless there are countervailing processes, which is what I try to investigate in the book, is what are those countervailing processes? Can anybody do this? So one example, and it doesn't have to be money. It doesn't have to be education. One of the examples in the book is Bill Gates. Now, why is Bill Gates Bill Gates? Because when he was a teenager, he was about the only teenager in the country that had access to computers. He was coding before anybody else. Uh, a, a funny little story about my own history. I was in the corporate world before the internet, and the internet was starting, and I'm working in marketing, and I'm, I go to my boss, and I said, I think there's something to this internet. I have some ideas of how we might be able to use this. Can I get an AOL account and put it on my expense account? <laughs> He's, after much debate, he said, okay. I was the first person in this Fortune 100 company with an internet account. So I knew more about the internet than anybody. I had some ideas, they worked. And when the company finally said, we need to create this e-business department, who do we have? Oh, Mark, you've been doing it more than anybody else. It's you. And that leads to where I am today. Digital marketing consultant, author, and why I'm sitting here with you Really, I could trace that back to getting an AOL on my expense account. <laughs> I, I, so I love there's, it. There, yeah, and, and, and so look, it wasn't much, right? But I built it into something great because I was sort of an early adopter. And these opportunities are are, are happening all the time. You know, I got to, a couple years ago. I got to meet Walter Isaacson, who wrote books on Steve Jobs and Einstein and Da Vinci, yep. and I said, well, what, what makes a genius? And he said, two things. One is being able to recognize patterns, and the other is, just as you said, this pursuit of curiosity. Not just being curious, but the pursuit of curiosity leads to innovation and breakthroughs. And as I talk about in my book, the beginning of momentum. Love it. I was a, a prodigy guy when I first started, by the way, uh, and then and then converted <laughs> to AOL. My brother and I had a little computer that we shared. And, uh, yeah. before that we dialed up to BBSs. like we, we were, we were in the game, man, you were uh, but early. we were early, but it, it's interesting how uh, a couple things here, so much of life is random and we all want to be in control. I know we're going to talk, you have a, a concept called the Matthew effect from Matthew 13, 12. I would assume, I'm going to, I'm going to assume you're a, a Christian and a believer here. If you're quoting the Bible, I am as well. And I think that so much of like, I, I, human beings, our biggest dilemma with, uh, the idea of, I think of religion or the Christianity is like, cause I really want to be God. Like I really want to decide what happens. Like, I don't know that I want to decide that sometimes I want to decide that bad things happen to bad people. But most of the time, I at the very least just want to decide, like, how could I make good things happen to the good people and bad things not happen to them? But so much of all of this is just, I mean, is just 
luck, chance, fate. I mean, the fact that you were born, like I wasn't born in America, but my family moved to America when I was one. Like I had nothing to do with that. The fact that I'm, you know, I'm in an area where I can get a good internet connection. Like, so it's just funny when you really distill it down, how much of this is. And I feel like so few people like, you know, success leaves clues. It's one of my favorite quotes. Someone smarter than me said it. I don't know who, but basically like so few people take the opportunity to go back and look at what led you to where you are today? Like that, just that little story. Like I, you, there's like a lot of lessons in there. I mean, they're, there's, they're simple, uh, but everything simple to do is equally simple not to do. But you said, Oh, this is interesting. By the way, you were maybe, we don't know. You may have been unwilling to spend your own personal money on it. We don't know. You may have been, but you, you took the opportunity to say, Hey, I think this might benefit me and you company. So you took the opportunity to ask like, and then you followed that path with obviously clear the curiosity that you had. So I think it's, I think it's really interesting that again, how much we discount, um, adding these things one on top of the other. It, it, uh, I don't even know if I finished my point earlier, but when we talk about medium positioning, you know, when my clients also start getting like when you've been on NBC, well then ABC will have you on because NBC proved that, Oh, if they had you on, then I could have you on. And as you start building a resume like this, it's like with a podcast, you know, I had Lisa Nichols on her. I got Dave Asprey later and it only takes three or four names to give you, Oh yeah, Nick, I'll do, I'll do that. If they did it, I'll do it. And this is a cumulative advantage. We're stacking, we're stacking the things that we know and the things we understand together to build essentially the best case for how we move forward. Now, tell us a little bit about the Matthew effect before we move on. Well, yeah. And it's, it's, uh, it's, I I wanted to sort of build on this point and, and explain the Matthew effect as well. So, the the point that you're making is that so much of 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 what happens in the world uh, is really uh, random. And one of the amazing things that's happening, Nick, people who read the book, it, it's like they get this look on their face and they say, "Oh wow, I hadn't really thought about the world that way. I really hadn't thought about my life that way. This really makes sense." They kind of have this aha moment that where they are today. We're all surfing the crest of a wave that started a long time ago, right? So if you hadn't immigrated to America, your crest would be a lot different than where it is today, okay? Right. And so we have to we have to see this sort of holistic perspective. And I think we would have a lot more empathy for each other. I think we'd have a lot more connection uh, with 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 each other. Uh, if, if we sort of understood this is that, you know, we're, we're all riding different waves and some of those, some, some are riding huge waves and some are riding blue collar waves and some are being pulled down by the undertow. And, and we, and we kind of need to, to, to look in, in, in that, uh, in that perspective. So this idea of the Matthew effect, the original research was conducted in the 1960s by a guy named uh, Robert Merton. He was an immigrant. He was a, he was a, an immigrant to, to, and he was in the slums of South Philadelphia as a child, and and they could barely make ends meet. And then his father was in the milk distribution business, and his warehouse burned down. So the little boy had to drop out of school, help his father with the business, and it in the evenings he would walk every night to the Carnegie Library and read. He was self-taught, against all odds got a scholarship to Temple University, against all odds, got a scholarship to Harvard, against all odds, became a professor at Columbia University. But, you know, as he walked from the slum to the library, he's passing these big mansions. And it's just like these people that have it just sort of stay there. How can we ever change this dynamic where we have a chance? And he saw the same thing happening in academia. He saw the same thing happen in, in different uh, professions that once you start getting that advantage, you just keep getting more advantages and it, it's not necessarily earned. And so he, he, he had this, this, wrote this paper called, uh, the Matthew effect in layman's terms, the rich get richer, the poor get poor. He was able to prove this with research that he did among Nobel prize winners. And here's an interesting fact that 84% of the Nobel prize winners he studied had worked under another Nobel Prize winner. It was almost as if there's sort of like this intergenerational Matthew effect that, look, I have this advantage and I'm going to bring you along too. 
So, and this has been applied, this theory has been applied to athletics, entertainment, education, uh, even health. Uh, They were able to show the children that were being raised in a poor environment, that they weren't getting enough nutrition. If you just, when they got adopted into a home where they got enough food, enough sleep, and a warm house to live in, their IQ on average went from 77 to 92. The number one indicator of IQ was just being in a a safe environment where you get enough to eat. So again, even that, even being in a safe house with food can be a cumulative advantage for a child, can lead to cumulative cumulative advantage and momentum. I love that. Now, the that obviously to me means that there must be cumulative disadvantage. Well, you know, ab- absolutely. And and one of the, the the things I struggled with with this book, Nick, is so I I wrote about how do we apply this research and and not only apply it but break through for our own lives, our own brands, our own businesses. But then it's like, how do I end this book? Because there are some very profound ideas here that need to be said about how this connects to the world we live in today, how this connects to civil injustice and really systemic unfairness that that is in our systems. I mean, doggone it, the guy that wrote this paper, everything he wrote about in the 60s, it's come true. He predicted exactly where we are today. And the way, the, the struggle I had with is, okay, I figured this out. I cracked the code. Now, how do we use this, not just for ourselves, but how do we apply this to our environment? How do we apply this to the world? And it took me three months to write the last chapter of the book. <laughs> it was really, really difficult to say, what can we do as a single human being to make a change? And the idea that I came up with is that clearly the beginning of momentum is some initial advantage. And that initial advantage, that initial spark can come from the help of another person. We can be in the business of sending that elevator back down and creating sparks for others. And it's it's something that's accessible. It's something that's doable for all of us. We don't have to just sit back and lament about the state of the world. And and one person said something very meaningful to me. He said, I, I finished reading your book and then I stayed up all night thinking about it. And I think that's what that was really what I hope to accomplish uh, with with the ending of this book. That's great. Now, one of the things that I often encourage people to do as well is that many of us would think when you think about uh, about turning around and, and sort of helping mentor others or, or giving them a step up, most people have this false belief that they need to wait until they've made it before they can turn around and start helping other people. And the fact of the matter is, uh, I don't know anyone really who would give themselves the title of I've made it. I mean, maybe I, I crossed I crossed one hurdle or I made it to I made it to town, top of Everest. Now I'm going to go for Kilimanjaro. Like there's moments of celebration, <laughs> but there's never like a made it, made it. I don't ever need to do anything again. And I often find that just of a mindset shift. Honestly, well, hopefully most of us are in the middle of our journeys, not at the end of them or else, you know, it's not going to be a good day tomorrow, but you know, it's, you know, what, when you're on the journey is the time to begin because what you get, what you gain from that of, of building others is actually, you learn so much that helps you propel you to the next level. So I don't know if you have any feedback on that, but that's just, just thought of that. as Well, I mean, I've got an entire, entire book, entire chapter in the book, basically on this subject and redefining mentoring and what it really means. I mean, the common definition is that we have a long-term relationship with somebody and they teach us new things. But I think today, mentoring is really about um, opening doors, making introductions. If, if you want to learn something new, you don't need a mentor. You need a Wi-Fi connection. Uh, unless you're, you know, a surgeon or a tennis player, you probably need a mentor. But for most of us, especially in business, there's plenty that we can learn out there on our own. But the the role of being a mentor is is literally lifting us to that new level. 
is is lifting us into momentum by just you know, it could be encouragement. It could be an introduction. It could be opening a new door. And almost anybody, as you said, can do that. And think of the power if we think of ourselves in that role to say, how can I lift somebody into this next level just through a kind word, an introduction, or or some new opportunity? It, it's it, There's limitless opportunities if we reframe the idea of momentum and, ref- and and connect it to mentoring in a new way. Uh, dig it. Uh, my friend James Altucher, I did a uh, eight-part series on Amazon Prime on him. And James, ha- he got this lesson from, I think, uh, Ken Shamrock, who was a UFC fighter. And he, he has a, a rule called plus minus equals. And it's every day, you should be spending time with people ahead of you. You should be spending time working things out. So like as you watch these things on the internet, it doesn't do you much good to keep them in your head. Uh, you should be sort of problem solving with others on your level about it. And you should, and every day, so that's the equals. And then every day you should look for those who are trying to get to where you are and, and find a way to share with them. And I think it's a, a great way to live in balance. You talk about in the book about an initial advantage because, of course, to have – Cumulative advantage, you must first discover the initial advantage. Tell us a little bit about what initial advantage is and, and where that comes from. Well, the idea of initial advantage, uh, again, I was I, I think this is really a book of, of, of should be a book of hope for, for people because what we find is that uh, is that initial advantage comes from almost everywhere. I, I, I mentioned to you, how my initial advantage, and I've had a lot of them like you, came from just asking for an internet connection from my boss. In the book, I set up this sort of race between myself and Tim Ferriss. So Tim is like this media superstar, but he came from the most unlikely beginnings. And Tim has been very transparent about this. You know, he he, he, he was a scrawny little kid who was bullied and he had health problems and he had psychological problems and he had relationship problems and he had business problems and he had money problems. And if you were in a, a Las Vegas Oz maker, you would be hard pressed to bet on Tim Ferriss when he was 29 years old and wrote that book. Curiously, his book and my book came out about the same time, but we had these really divergent paths you know, he's getting return calls from Oprah. I can't get a return call from my plumber. And so something crazy happened to Tim Ferriss. And it, it, and it's really remarkable that what happened, each stage of his momentum aligns with sort of the five factors I have in my book. So I tell his story, I tell my story, and show, you know, what decisions we made helped us move or not move in in the right direction. So one thing I love, so you'll note, by the way, um, Mark is a great storyteller. It takes a great storyteller to make a good book. Like, and it takes really a good writer, by the way, to make a good book. If you're not a great writer and you're even a good storyteller, like don't be ashamed to work with a ghostwriter, like someone who's great at writing, because I can tell you if these stories were not good, I would not be very interested in a book about cumulative advantage. I mean, you know, just, it's, it's not what I woke up one morning saying, you know what I got to dig into is cumulative advantage, but these stories and, and how relevant they are, are, are incredible. So can you walk us through those factors, Mark, of, of, of uh, that you sort of, uh, that I know Tim, by the way, that uh, I think everyone knows Tim. He's done such a great job of getting out there. Um, but, you know, that made you divergent from Tim. I know one of them, you said uh, you just weren't super passionate about following that subject the rest of your life and digging in. Yeah, that, that that's exactly right. That's really sort of where we diverged at the end of the book. So to go through the five things very quickly, and we've already talked quite a bit about this first one, which is initial advantage. What is initial advantage and how do you pursue that curiosity? Number two is really finding a seam. And this is talking about the strategy for your idea, the strategy for your concept, which is really a function of time, space, and speed. Do you have an opportunity right now, not next year, not two years from now? And how do you, how do you know that the time is right? So I've got a couple chapters about that. You have an idea. You burst through this seam. Now you need awareness. And there's some very interesting research. I think this will be surprising to people 
about how awareness or how things go viral. It's not really how you think. So I've got two big ideas that I think are going to be new to people in the book on this idea called the sonic boom. How do you create this sonic boom of awareness to really take you to the next level? We hinted on the fourth one, which is mentorship, which is reaching up and reaching out. So it's thinking about mentorship in a new way. It's not necessarily a long-term relationship. It's really finding people that you aspire to be. It doesn't even have to be someone in your field, but and it's just coming alongside them occasionally when you need help with something. And there's sort of an art and science to that. And by the way, Tim Ferriss is the absolute master at that. <laughs> so, so, so again, my story's in the book, Tim's story's in the book, and we kind of like, we go lockstep, lockstep, lockstep until number five. And that's really constancy of purpose. So what happened after the four-hour work week? It was the four-hour chef and the four-hour body, right? So he, he, he went with this theme and, and, and almost created this franchise. So he continued to make good decisions that built, you know, built on this idea and, and created more and more momentum. As he, he created more momentum, he had more contacts, then he leveraged those contacts into what? A podcast. Leverage the interviews in the podcast into what? Another book. Momentum, momentum, momentum. Advantage builds on advantage. My first book was also very successful. As you mentioned, I wrote the first book on influence marketing. I was a little ahead of my time because I, I said, this, I wrote about influence marketing in 2012 before anybody was even using the word. And I said, this is going to become a mainstream marketing channel in two years. I was right. Unfortunately, I was right. <laughs> because, you know, my book hit did very well, hit number one on Amazon for a few weeks. But it wasn't the four-hour work week because the timing was a little bit off. But the other big decision that I made I didn't want to be the influence guy. I didn't want to start an influence agency. That would have bored the heck out of me. I'm a person who, who reinvents myself. Uh, just the idea of creating an influence marketing agency sort of makes me ill. So this is an important idea that even if you do everything right, it still has to fit your lifestyle. It has to fit for what you want in your life. For Tim Ferriss to be Tim Ferriss, he had to make certain compromises about his life. And I think recently he's changed his life in some ways to be a little less public, a little less accessible. You know, at that point in my life, it was still family time. It was still, you know, connection time. I, I just didn't want that. And so I, I kept moving in new directions and I'm very, very happy. I made the right decisions for me and my life. But ultimately, I sort of jeopardize my momentum on purpose. Yeah, well, and, and that's, I mean, look, the key to a happy, healthy life in many ways is being able to set those boundaries so that you can, you know, if, if you don't know where the, the field ends, you can't win the game, right? So setting those those uh, those boundaries is awesome. Uh, one thing I think is really intriguing when you talk about mentors. So uh, we often hear about, well, hey, if you want to be a better tennis player, you know, or let's say golf, you want to be a better golfer, like go, if you could go learn from Tiger Woods, you'll become a better golfer. And that's, that's yeah. true. But I think I, it's a really interesting point that you say that, um, you said it doesn't really even matter if they're in the business or industry you want to be in. Uh, you know, we hear so often, like when people invest in businesses, big hedge funds and things like they're really, I, to a, to a person, they all say, well, really I invest in people or the person. I didn't yeah. even know if that idea was going to work, but I believed in that person. And so extrapolate that to when you're looking for mentoring, think about anyone who is successful, especially if they're in another field, imagine how much you could learn from them that has, that no one else in your field knows that would actually give you an advantage because they would say, Oh, well the most successful thing or the most important thing in my business that most other businesses don't like, Oh my gosh, if everyone, you know, it's cross pollination. My friend Jay Abraham talks about all the time when you bring ideas from one industry to another, um, it creates magic because 
industries for the most part sort of live in these silos. So I think yeah. that's a really interesting, unique point. Um, I also, um, you talk about when you go to write a book, you, you put together a Da Vinci team. I think this is interesting. Let's talk <laughs> about that for a second. Share that. Yeah, well, I mentioned, you know, I got to meet uh, Walter Isaacson right after he wrote his glorious Da Vinci masterpiece. Um, and one of the things that that inspired me about that book is that Leonardo da Vinci, arguably the most creative human being who ever lived, all, a lot of his work, a lot of his greatest work was collaborative. When he was an early artist, he would work on paintings and, they, and he'd say, oh, you do animals really well. Can you do the animals here? Oh, I need this starry sky. Can you do that? A lot of the early paintings he worked on were were collaborative. His most famous drawing, the uh, Vitruvian Man, you know, the, the those guys circumscribed in the circle, right? Right. So this this the, he this he, uh, Da Vinci was like a party animal, right? I mean, he was a super popular guy. Had parties. Always had people around him. And he you know he had friends over, and he said, "Hey, I've been reading this ancient text." about this Roman philosopher Vitruvius. And he had this idea about the mathematical connection. He and the guy and and someone said, Oh yeah, I've been think I've been reading that too. I kind of would draw it like this. And he sort of did a little drawing. And then Da Vinci got curious. He followed his curiosity, came, you know, got the ancient text himself, and of course then drew this masterpiece. But it was it was an idea that you know it was, it, was, it went all the way back to Vitruvius. Then it was one of his friends. Another friend did like a little sketch, and ultimately it led to the great, his most famous drawing that is everywhere today. So even someone like Da Vinci, his best work uh, is a collaboration. And when I was reading about this, I felt sad about my own creative process because I spend so much time alone, and so I made this vow to myself that I was going to create this Da Vinci team and I was going to debate and, and bounce ideas off of people. And I just got to tell you, Nick, my books are a hundred percent better. They're richer. They're fuller. They're funnier. They're more interesting because I involve other people in contributing and helping and bouncing ideas and tearing me apart and putting me back together again. I mean, there was feedback from one woman I was working with on this project. I literally rewrote two whole chapters of the book because she just tore me to pieces, <laughs> which is the best thing she could have done. And that is the Da Vinci team. That's, I mean, we're, we're, we're better off combining those ideas. We can't really think out of the box, you know? If you look at, at, at the research of psychology, by about the time we're 15 years old, our mental frameworks are pretty much formed. We sort of approach the world in a certain way. True breakthrough thinking comes from combining those boxes. That is what diversity is really about. If you want new ideas and new ways of looking at the world, mash it up. And that's what I'm committed to do in, in, all, of, in all of my books. I just try to get as much different perspectives as I could. That's great. Uh, the whole idea, and you even brought the word diversity, like, you know, I find we've talked a lot about mindset already, but mindset shifts everything. But I think, you know, there's, there's this constant conversation, which I think is good happening right now about diversity and inclusion. And I think many people are very, uh, it, the words make them bristle, but I, I find if you can shift your mindset to the fact that diversity and inclusion is actually an amazing invitation. It's an invitation to see things that you can't see based on the perspective that you have. And truthfully, if you will embrace that and you get opinions from people who don't look like you didn't grow up like you, like, like you said, it can make your message so much stronger because literally you don't even even have the context to think of think of it in that way, right? Let me let me give you an example from my my corporate career. This is the best example of the best business case for diversity you'll you'll ever hear. So, uh, in my corporate career, I was in charge of research and development for a while as part of my marketing function at a Fortune 100 company. So we had to come up with these new ideas, and so we we did this process called brainwriting. So when you come into a brainstorming session, everybody has like a big idea that they just think they know is going to be the best. So what you do is you get a big easel pad and you have everybody write 
their big idea on the top of the pad and then paste that piece of paper to the wall and stand in front of it. So now you've got all these people around the room standing in front of their idea. Then you say, move one step to the right. Look at that idea and make it better. Now move three steps. So again, one brain isn't following the same brain. You're mixing up perspectives. Go back to your original idea and circle the best idea on that page. 95% of the time, the idea they circle is not their own. It's very, very powerful. You turn great, good ideas into breakthrough ideas in 30 minutes, and it can only happen with diversity. Wow, love that. And and it's that's truly cumulative advantage because you can't tell me that everyone working on that paper is not working off the ideas they got from somewhere else or from the right. ones, some of the ones they've seen before. That's uh, that's really cool. I was going to ask you about, about brain writing. Another thing you talk about uh, is seeing opportunities in crisis. Certainly, we've all experienced uh, different levels of crisis over this past year with, you know, COVID-19 and quarantines and pandemics and illnesses. You know, how do you, uh, how do you find opportunity in crisis? How do you make your, train your brain to do that? And how would you encourage other people to start approaching that to make it part of the way they approach the world? Well, I mean, the, the one thing to think about is, is the opportunity and these initial advantages come from a fracture in the status quo. And you, you're, you know, you're, we're seeing these all the time. When you just see things, you go, huh, that's a good idea. Or, huh, I never saw that really applied to whatever, food delivery before. And then you have to pursue that curiosity. And when the, co when the pandemic hit, uh, you know, first of all, wow. I mean, I had COVID early on. I had COVID in April. I had it really bad. One of the things that happened to me is I had hypoxia, so I wasn't getting enough oxygen to my brain. I couldn't think, couldn't read, couldn't write. I was in this fog for weeks. And then kind of when I got out of the fog, my business had crashed. And uh, because, you know, I'm a speaker and I'm a consultant and people make good decisions about canceling events and so forth. And then I had to see, okay, where do I fit in this world? And I had this realization about my my purpose and my place in that I am a teacher. I'm a teacher in everything I do. People just need me to teach something else right now. And so I dug deep and I and I and I taught and I spoke about how we can handle uncertainty in our world because that's what's driving everybody crazy right now. How bad is this going to get? How far long is this going to go on? And so, so I use psychological principles that I learned about in school to kind of apply this to where we are today. I created a free ebook. I gave free speeches. I did free, you know, counseling and coaching, and and that sort of got the ball moving in a new way. And I predicted last March that we would see more startups in America than any time in the history of the country. And that has absolutely come true. We've had, obviously, all these tragic business failures. We've had a higher number of startups than the business failures. Why? Because great businesses are, beat, are, are built on unmet or underserved customer needs. And we have so many unmet and underserved customer needs right now. Those are all fractures in the status quo that represent opportunity. The This whole podcast, by the way, is a result of that same thing. Like, what can I do to serve my audience? Because I can't do what I was doing. So right. maybe try something different. I also think, I haven't seen any stats on this, but I'm very much wondering how much uh, how many people, because okay, essentially there was a, a quarantine in most places, a, a true lockdown for about 90 days in most places at the least. And and then there was PPP money and there's there's government funding and there's all these things. So sort of the world was blown up the way you're used to doing it. And we're going to give you some money to get by. I wonder how many people quit careers they hated. Like, oh, well, I just blew up on my finances. I didn't like being a divorce lawyer anyway. So screw that. I'm just going to go do something different forever because I don't ever want to go back and do that again. It'll be interesting to see. What that would those be fascinating. Are. That would be, I mean, because it really is blowing up people's lives in a lot of different ways. It's making people rethink just about, you know, every aspect of, of their lives. I'm, I, I know it did for me. Uh, yeah, yeah that, that's, that's a fascinating point, Nick. I, I found it being a really, once I got through the melee and the panic and I could think clearly, it was really a time of, 
uh, clarification for me on so many things like, okay, so I was operating in a world where these were things were true. Now that they're not true anymore, what are the things that are still true? Because perhaps the way I was expressing it before isn't what matters. It's right. like, how do I find the actual driver behind it? Um, right. You also talk about constancy of purpose, which I think is really interesting and sort of the idea that sometimes it's years or a lifetime of consistent effort that actually give you the end result. It does, it's not always overnight. Explain that whole concept to us. Well, I, and I think that's really relevant for the times we're in as well. You know, Jim, Jim Collins, the author of Good to Great, wrote about this, um, this phenomenon called the doom loop. So you're, you're, you know, you're charging and you've got momentum and things are going great. And then all of a sudden you have a pandemic, you have a recession, things are going in the crapper. And one tendency is to start grasping at straws and grasping at anything and really forgetting about who you are and what you do and what are those drivers of your business. And, and look, I'm not saying that you don't need to reflect and maybe even pivot. But at the same time, you can't, you've got to have this constancy of purpose to know who are you? Who are you? What brought you to this place? And, and you've got to keep making good decisions with consistency and with constancy to keep that momentum going. You have to surround yourself with the, the resources, the people, even the right you know, tools to just keep that momentum going and, and make good decisions. And, and when we're in a time like this, momentum is in jeopardy for sure. And look, I, I do a lot of personal coaching for people. And here's my message. Don't worry about what's going to happen in the future. Here's what you need to worry about. You need to get through the next year. You need to land don't worry about achieving all this other stuff or you know, using your time to learn a new language or get a beach body or whatever. The most heroic thing you can do right now is land on the other side because your competitors, maybe they won't. So what do we need to do to hunker down and just make through? We got to get through one year. What do you need to do for one year? That's this idea of constancy of purpose is in the in, in the context of where we are right now is just make the good decisions to keep your momentum going even in a crisis Love it. my friend jack canfield talks about when you're taking a journey you know from i don't know from la to new york city like you just have to go as far as the headlights can see and then you the headlights will light something else up and you got to go the next one so so that whole nice. just taking nice the, the yeah. next step jack's, uh, jack's in the book by the way Love it. Jack is a good friend. I, I made uh, the documentary on Jack as well. So uh, solid guy. Now we all, and we all admire grit and tenacity. We just don't want to learn how to get them right. Like we all, you know, that's like that, that's sort of that dangerous prayer. Like God, give me what I can handle. And then you're like, wait a second. I don't think I can handle that much. I don't want to handle that much. You know, and, and I've also heard that we've all heard the, the adage that as a speaker or an author, the more messed up your past is, the more successful you're going to be because you have a super interesting story. But uh, none of us, we don't want to live through it to gain the yeah. right to have it, right? Yeah. You know, I've been waiting for this one, Nick, because I've listened to your other shows and you say, well, tell us about how screwed up your past was. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Hey, sometimes it is, sometimes it isn't. But I think the key is, again, the clarification of, yeah, what is it that that truly drives you? And then being able to, yeah, spend, so this last year, spend a year, like I started the podcast, I started live streams. My first one I did was with a friend of mine on addiction and addiction recovery with some specialists and just, hey, Here's how you might help others around you or yourself right. if you're finding right. addictive tendencies during the lockdown. The next one we did on human trafficking, because I knew from the work I've done in human trafficking, when you push a bunch of kids who haven't been trained on how they might be trafficked online and a bunch of predators online all at the same time, I predicted it was going to skyrocket and it it more than doubled. Wow. And so this was this became an outgrowth of, of just doing that. Now, it's... Uh, we started, I think it started in March or April of 2020 and it's become like a really fun, actual driver of business and other things, which I never would have, uh, would have guessed had I not taken that first step, but I never would have taken that first step if I was just busy. Like I had been in the past, like, oh, I'm too busy mm -hmm. to, to start doing that. I don't, I don't do podcasts. I make documentaries. Um, you, you also talk about, um, 
it really ending the book, and you talked, it took you a while to do that, about mm-hmm. using cumulative advantage to build a better world. As we sort of wrap up here and, and move on into the world, give us some practical tips on how how we can use this entire concept. First of all, you got to get the book by cumulative advantage, read it, check it out, share it with everybody, you know, but what can we do next to, to start using this concept to make the world better? Well, that, that was, that was my struggle, Nick, because I, I, I felt really confident that I, I, I unlocked this idea that if you're, if you don't, if you're not living a life with some inherent advantage from a standing start, how can you build momentum for yourself? And then I had to, I'm faced with this idea that that the privilege that we have, that you had, of moving to America, the privilege that I had of growing up in a two-parent house and being, you know, honestly, white, straight, and and an able, an able-bodied person, those are all parts of cumulative advantage that some people don't have. And so we unlock these ideas, and how do we apply it to the civil you know, injustice that we have in the world. And I do not pretend to have uh, the solution to this. Uh, I would be a very rich person if I did because it's cosmically complex. However, I do have an idea and it's this idea of this, we know momentum comes from these initial sparks. And we know, as you said, all of us have the ability to create sparks for others not just reach up and reach out, but to send the elevator back down and create sparks, opportunities, ideas, encouraging words to other people. That's something that all of us can do and it's gonna have a big ripple effect in the world. And, and you know, I disclose in some very personal ways how this has impacted me and it took a lot of courage to write this chapter because I'm saying things that, you know, a middle-aged white guy, you're not supposed to be saying these things. And it's just like, look, I would be a coward if I don't say these things. I have to say these things. And and it's having a big impact on people. That It's already making people think and take action. It's great. I, I always say when you don't know what to do next, just show up and start serving and yeah. opportunity will follow. And I would say like in this vein, uh, I would – you know, most people don't know where to begin. Like a really great place to start was like to be thinking, hey, have I done one thing today that sends the elevator back down? Did I encourage the style of the person at the McDonald's counter? Like it doesn't matter, but like if you start serving in that way and just start, uh, you know, it can be complimenting. It can be, you know, I have a policy that if anyone that's reasonable and polite, you know, like emails me and says, hey, would you, let me take you to lunch or could I share this with you? Or would you talk to me about this or give me your ideas? I'll always say yes. Uh, and until the time that I'm too busy that I can, that I can't, then I won't do it anymore. I'll have to do it in groups or whatever, but like, what are we doing? And, and so, so often there's so many opportunities to serve around us. We just haven't paid attention to them. And so just start, I would just encourage people, I charge people with this as you're thinking through, you know, the next few hours and the next few days, like, are you answering the invitations you're being given? Or are you just looking right past them? And one of the invitations is simply to respond to something uh, politely, kindly, and encouragingly. And then as you start doing that, that will build a cumulative advantage in that habit of yeah. learning what to look for and when something is special, how people respond to it. But uh, the longest journey starts with the first step. And if you don't find a step to take today or tomorrow, you're probably just going to forget this and move on. So I, uh, I highly encourage you to do that. I highly encourage you to check out Cumulative Advantage. I highly encourage you to subscribe to the podcast so you can get more conversations like this. Mark, thanks so much for joining us. Any closing words uh, as we leave? Well, no. Nick, this has been awesome. Thank you for the great questions. And just I want to encourage everyone to cr- create those sparks for others. That's how we're going to change the world. I love it. Thanks so much for joining us. We'll see you next time on Now to Next. Thanks for tuning in to Now to Next. Make sure you like and subscribe and check out the next episodes.